Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? This is part two of my conversation with my next guest. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I suggest you do so now. Thank you for being here. You know, what was so fascinating is is that we knew we would have to whether militia and the and the advocates liked it or not, it was very hard for all of us to understand that we had to get to yes. And then the founding fathers of our country, unfortunately for this, make us sort of in lawmaking, we have to give the majority access, but we also have to protect the minority. And that is how legislatures work. They're diverse. Nobody is a king. You don't get everything you want. You don't wave a magic wand. You have to negotiate and you have to get to yes. Mm -hmm. And this is something that Cullerton taught me, not only when I worked for him, but when I got elected and he helped me get this bill passed. He's like, Sarah, let's get something here. Let's get something. And so I tried to enlist these women who were very opposed to the bill. All of them were adoptive moms. You know, they were very nervous about this subject matter. Some of them didn't want to meet the other woman, that woman. I think that when we started to collect data, not only on the registry bill, but also on the major modifications we made to the confidential intermediary law, that was sort of not great, too expensive, too limited. I mean, the way the law was, if my birth mother wanted to come back and tell me that I am predisposed to breast cancer, she had no standing in the court because I was adopted privately. She had no way back. But in Illinois at that time, if you were a mother who's parental rights were terminated or you relinquished through the Department of Children and Family Services, you had many birth mothers could come back. And so we wanted to create parity for all adoptees, no matter how their adoptions were finalized. We did that. And the most important part was to create a data, go to the registry. If there's not something there that says do not enter, you proceed then to the confidential intermediary who will help you search. We took the cost away of, which was really prohibitive, okay? I mean, it was four or $500 for a CI. The court costs were ridiculous. And so I was able to reduce all those costs and make the state pay for it because we didn't ask for, we didn't ask to have our records sealed. Mm-hmm. Whoever makes the record sealed has to pay from my perspective, right? Right. We were very successful, and the data was exactly what we told them it would be, that 90-plus percent of of birth parents would welcome some form of contact. 
And they were blown away. They had nowhere to go. And then we proceeded to pass the uh, birth certificate access bill. And of course, Militia was the architect of all of this. Without her, these bills would not be law. Without her ability to learn to sit in the room with the person who has prohibited her from passing this bill. I mean, we all sort of grew up and had adult relationships after 14 years, Mm. really. What was interesting was the same mothers who were so resistant to this idea and were creating obstacles and really slowing down our progress when their kids started growing up and started asking questions. And like one woman, Susan, her son started asking questions. You know, here we are, five, six, seven years later, Susan is asking Militia to help her son find his birth family. Mm, That's something. (laughs) Yes. But it it was a long wait, but it was... It was heartfelt. It was those adoptive mothers whose children came of age who became the the best warriors, most of them. I'm glad you shared Uh, that. Yes, because that's interesting to know. Yes, yes. They were the ones who wanted their children to have what it was they needed to thrive. Mm -hmm. And if learning their first chapter was what would help them get on that path they were in. They wanted that. All of these adoptive parents groups were evolving. Social workers were encouraging open adoptions and creating extended families, and things changed. And I have to say that we were all part of it together. All that data and all of that life experience was really what helped us get the birth certificate access bill passed. It was a pretty significant number of votes. I believe that in both chambers, it was veto-proof. You know, I had survived in the legislature all of the adoptive fathers who ambushed me on that registry bill were no longer in the legislature. Mm. They were gone. They had retired. Some were judges. They were elsewhere, except for one. He was a great speaker on the floor. He was in leadership for the Republicans. And so I ended up working on the bill. And he had seen me file this bill a million times and never move it. So he probably thought, oh, there's Feigenholz doing her bill again. (laughs) She's never going to get the votes for this, blah, blah, blah. He had no clue what was going on. (laughs) I remember walking by his desk. He and I were friends over time. And... I had a lot of respect for him. Bill Black was his name. He was from Danville. Big Cub fan. He was a big Cub fan. The Cubs were in spring training in Arizona, and I knew this guy was a Cub fan. And, you know, he said, you know, you know, the Cubs are having uh, Old Timers Day at spring training, and I'm looking at their schedule, you know. And I said, do you need tickets to the ball game down there? I said, what nights do you want to go? Just let me know. And he said, well, uh, wow, Sarah, that's really nice of you. I said, well, don't say anything yet. I'm going to do my best to help you out here. He gave me the dates, and I walked back to my side of the aisle, got on my 
uh, cell phone and I called Wrigley Field and the Cubs are in my district. Okay. I have great relationship with the Cubs. I said, I need two tickets for this game. The Col- I want, this is for Representative Bill Black in the dugout, on the field, <laughs> pictures, everything, <laughs> two nights in a row. I don't care what you've got going on, but you've got to peel his grapes for him and you've got to. I need and and no is not an option. I need tickets. Mm-hmm. And here's my credit card. He's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> uh, I got it. And I said, write his number down. I want him to get a call in the next 10 minutes with confirmation. Okay. I hang the phone up. And the next thing I know, he's walking toward me. And he said, wow. I don't know who you know, <laughs> but I just got a call from Arizona. And thank you. What do I owe you? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Just don't worry about me. <laughs> so the next day, I'm sitting on the floor alone. And I am going through this piece of paper. No one's on the floor. We're not in session. People are in committees. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm going over my roll call. It is the list of names of everyone who's elected in your chamber. I'm going through and putting who's a yes and who's a no. I still have that piece of paper, by the way. I saved that roll call. And I am literally, I know who, I know who is a locked yes. And I know who's wiggly and I know the no's. And I count 74 yes votes on this sheet of paper and i'm like no way and i did it again 74 and i was i i'll never forget that feeling where i felt like dizzy like this can't be true you know i'd never had that many votes and this was the big bill i went over to the republican side and i noticed that bill black was gone and i talked to one of the staffers and i said um, I'm looking for him. Where did he go? And the, and they said, oh, he went to Arizona to see his father-in-law. Didn't you get him Cubs tickets? I'm like, yeah, I wasn't sure he was going. But and they said, oh, no, he's going to be gone for the rest of the week. I'm like, OK, great. You know, I beeline into the majority leader's office in the speaker suite. And I said, Barbara, Bill Black is gone. I have 74 votes on my OBC bill. I got to call this bill today, even if it's not. You know, we had like a method, you know, the the chief of staff would call bills in a certain order. And she's like, she said, I said, we have to call this bill and we have to call it today and now. And she said, okay. (laughs) I literally walked into the, into the, the house and they called the bill right away. And it passed with 74 votes and it was very emotional. Oh my God. It was so emotional. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Oh my God. I could barely make it through. I mean, there was opposition and people were saying, what about birth mothers? And, but most of the Republicans were, they were okay. I think very few voted for it because of course the right to lifers are always opposed to our bills, but the bill passes and my my strategy of Bill Black being gone had worked, 
And as I told you, we do things by any means possible. That's right. Any means, any means. So and got, so you think if he had been there, it wouldn't have passed? Well, I think that he can get up on the floor of the house and he, you know, 74 is a nice number. You yeah. really only need 60. Right. Right. But if you get 71 or above, it's veto proof. Right. I got you. Meaning that if the governor plays around with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is um, this is the last time. So now this is all behind you. We're like t- 2010. I'm thinking 2000. Yes, this happened. This bill passed in 2010. It was, you know, John Cullerton, as luck would have it, was already was at that moment the Senate president, and I. And he had seen this bill for 14 years. As you know, Jennifer, we had to wait 18 months mm-hmm. and we had to do an information campaign. So there were times set in this bill that made this bill the need for it to be fast tracked. He said, we don't we're not doing third reading today, but I will call my my members into session for this bill alone. And he did. The bill was done by A.J. Wilhelmy from Joliet who chaired the Judiciary Committee and whose uh, mother-in-law was adopted, by the way. So he did an incredible job. And I was sitting on the floor of the Senate waiting for him to come in, waiting for the Senate to come in. I walked this bill everywhere. I was so focused. There was no way this thing wasn't going to pass. And it also was signed very early. We had not yet adjourned. We had a week off in May, which was unusual. I was able to convince the governor to sign it early because of the time frame. Were you there for the bill signing? I was not. Intense. Did you have you ever watched the video? I of have the bill? many, many times. Oh my God. <laughs> I have to tell you that I walked into the room where this bill was being signed and it was People came from all over the country to witness this. Mm. Keep in mind that for 14 years, Militia and I, everybody, we were communicating with people from other states who were born in Illinois waiting for this to happen. Okay, So the room was packed with adoptees. I don't think the governor at that time, Governor Quinn, expected that. It was it was intense. And you could feel it when you watch that video. It's too bad that there wasn't a camera behind the microphone to look into the audience because everybody was just. Oh, I'm so glad you was, shared that because, yeah, the camera from the video I've seen many, many, many times, it doesn't depict that. Intense. Yeah. And it was glorious. And we had Howard. Griffith there. We had Steve Cochran there, you know, adoptees who are, you know, Steve Cochran was a WGN radio host for a really long time. He was adopted and he had a reunion story. And Howard Griffith from Big Ten Sports played for University of Illinois. He was a running back. And then he, I think he has two or three Super Bowl rings from the Denver Broncos. You know, after he played, he's back in Chicago, and he, I believe, does Big Ten sports. Militia was the one who helped him find his biological family. It was a star-studded day. A lot of 
adaptees and the governor of course spoke it was wonderful we had a lot of work to do and a lot of promises in that bill and it took a long time to execute it and we were very hands-on helping them shepherd things through there's hurdles before it passes like you know of course you know saying oh this is going to cost too much money there's going to be a stampede of adoptees and we're going to need to hire more people it's going to cost us another half a million dollars and we're like oh yeah no don't hire anyone we've waited this long we can wait another year i mean the things that we had to do <laughs> to get this thing passed mm-hmm. you don't want to know you know there's this famous saying you never want to see what goes in sausages or laws <laughs> this is very true i've never it's heard sort of, that before <laughs> yes it's like the story i just told you about the cubs tickets in arizona right. i mean who does that you know, you have to clear the floor of your enemies. You have to outsmart them. And, and it's really true. I mean, I had grown as a legislator. I was more seasoned. I had more gravitas. People respected me. Some members of the Illinois House even said, why are you asking me about this bill again? Have we not passed this already? <laughs> I just don't want to hear about it anymore. So just put me down as a yes, you know. And so, so, yeah, so 2010, that's right. happening. 2011 that is when I meet you and right. in like the autumn of 2011. So I know you're in reunion, but you don't have your original birth certificate. So you also have to apply. I do. As you said, November 15th was the day that the post-1946 adoptees could apply for their original birth certificate. And at the very last minute, we decided we were going to have a Pony Express party. And we were going to bring people's applications with their checks down to Springfield for them. I had not even thought about it. You know, some of these things, Jennifer, are so emotional and be a public figure, an elected official. I mean, it was hard for me to make it through. I'm sitting here crying just thinking about it Mm. you know how many times things had touched me so deeply Mm -hmm. this was so personal to get through it was really tough but anyway last minute we throw this party together these two of my colleagues showed up uh julie hamos and judy Irwin, who had helped me over these years it was just so celebratory. Do you remember how it felt meeting each other? Oh, it was wonderful. I was just talking to Maura Duffy, who was there. That's the first time I met her. And it was just like, just in awe of the community. And I think Maura said that, that she had never been in a room that she knew of with other adoptees. Yeah. It was intense. It was. And then, you know, the rest going down to Springfield at six o'clock in the morning, you know, so many emotions, so many things going through my head. Thank God, Stephen Lanfear, who was my chief of staff at the time, really sort of handled all of this. He was great. Yes. He was amazing. And I I remember being in that little room. (laughs) <laughs> out on Ridgely Road. When I saw that building, I couldn't believe it. Cause I, and that was my first time in Springfield. And I remember seeing that building and going inside, and I'm thinking, this is where these records are. 
I just, I just lost it. I, I never in my life ever believed that this moment was going to happen. Oh, Sarah, you're not. This, nobody really wants to do this. This is just about you. Come on. What do you think? You made such, you know, you're a drama queen. And I was just actually, I'm, I'm like, oh, God, I don't think anybody's going to come here to fill this out. I was just, you know, I was just having these thoughts about how I'm having a party here and no one's going to come. And I'll never forget walking into this room. So George Rudis, who ran Vital Records, walks out from the back and he he pulls up the blinds. And there is a line snaking around the building. I remember that line. And I burst into tears. I I could not believe it. I was so wrecked by it. Like, I couldn't believe that I had actually done this and helped people, that this was, this is something that I know how they felt. I mm. knew what they were going through. So you well, didn't most, expect there to be a no, long line? No, I didn't. I, did, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I mean, how do we know? How do we know who shows up? Yeah. You know, I have to say that, um, it was um, the most amazing day. You were, of course, one of the most active adoptees in the parking lot. And that's where you and I really sort of connected the night before and then that day. And the people that we met that were in line, many of them were in the video. It was a most spectacular day. I remember saying to everybody, we have to tell our story. And she will capture it on film. And it, this film will help other, our brothers and sisters in other states who don't have what we have. And we have to help them. And I believe, Jennifer, that a simple piece of paper really, really helped. I think that I remember coming home from session the year the bill was passed. And I, I insisted on butting into a writing class because I was going to write a book about this now that the bill had passed. And one of my friends said to me, you can't write a book. You have to make a documentary. This is happening in real time. You know, you can write your book later. And that's when I thought I have got to get Jean engaged and I've got to raise some money and pay for her to come do this. Doing a very powerful, powerful documentary that was on PBS was on Channel 11, was all over. You know, it became a very public story. I believe it impacted other states because we were the tipping point. Illinois was the, we had the largest Catholic population outside of Poland, I believe, um, in Rome, in the United States. Very large archdiocese that gave us a tough time the whole almost all the way through. And the fact that we were the tipping point, we were the first sort of the fifth largest state in the country, a lot of Catholics, rough belt state, sort of conservative. I believe that we were the tipping point. I do. I don't know if you agree. Oh, I definitely you know, agree. And and when you think of Chicago, and, and one, one thing that I often go back to is the fact that the world didn't come to an end for uh, all of us adoptees from Illinois. And I know so many from Chicago. I remember working through Agudith Israel, who helped us a lot in Illinois, sort of a, a very religious group. Um, 
rabbis, Jewish rabbis. I'm Jewish. I went to them and I, because uh, I have learned that in Israel, you get your birth certificate upon request at the time when you were 18 years old. And most laws in Israel are based upon decisions made by the Bet Din, which is sort of the, the where the judges are. This is their Supreme Court. Their laws are based on on some religious beliefs, right? They wrote their laws around some of their their religious beliefs. And so I had asked the Aguda to go to the Bet Din in Israel get me a reason why the bit didn't decided to give adoptees their birth certificates at 18. And I took it and used it in Illinois. I went to people and said, my faith is now saying that what we're doing is against Jewish law. To prohibit someone from knowing their name when they become adults is against Jewish law. Right? So that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Because they had divided, then you're dividing your opponents because they used to be with the Catholics. So when you get the Orthodox Jews saying sealed records are a violation of Jewish law and the other side saying not here, at least you're sort of chipping away at your opponent. We went through them to help New York. We were working with the staff of the speaker or the, the sponsor of the bill the bill that he had proposed, the, the sponsor proposed was awful. And I remember Militia and I and Adam Pertman rewrote the law. We rewrote the law at, for them and gave them an amendment. We thought they were going to file it. We had, we had reason to believe that they were going to file it. And in the middle of the night, the last night, not only did they not use our amendment, but they made a worse amendment than the original bill. And it was just mind-boggling what these people did in the dark of night. We did not know how to penetrate in New York. It was impossible. We, you know, we tried everything. And when you're not on the ground there and you don't know the players, it's, it's pretty tough. I believe that the film, you and I said earlier, Three Identical Strangers, was a story of triplets were separated at birth by an, in New York by a New York adoption agency. And I think that that movie rocked everybody. Yeah, that Louise and, Wise agency, once a lot came out, even with this book now, American Baby by Gabrielle Glaser, it's like, yeah, things were just kind of lining up. Right. And, and you know what? Those were the same experiments that were going on all over the country. I have to say that it feels evil to us initially. You know, it's tough for me to be an adoptee and a lawmaker. I have learned to be very forgiving of cruel practices around our adoptions. The laws have to change, and you play a major part in that. And I just know just to kind of bring your story full circle because you also had to get your original birth certificate. And I remember we talked a little bit about that back in 2000. I think you told me 2012. I got my original birth certificate the same day you did, my love. Yeah, so that would, we, yeah, that's yeah, right. We had arranged to hold, remember, I had said to our tribe, everybody right. that was at that party, 
in November, I said, we asked many of you if we could give a list to public health, the Department of Public Health Vital Records, to hold your birth certificates so that we can, Gene could film you opening your birth certificates in various scenarios so that we could tell our story. Which included you. And you. Oh, yeah. No, I, I had the party. Right. So, right. So we had all of the birth certificates in a rubber band and invited everybody. I came home. I was all into you and meeting your family. Yes. You, you have your family. Oh, my God. I love you. So I would kind. love it. Yeah, well, I went to your birthday party. Remember, I showed up. You have shown up for me. I tell people all the time, Sarah has shown up for me like you would not believe. Just so generous you are. Well, you know, we define family very differently, don't we? So, but getting to know your family, lovely, such like wonderful people and the expressions on their face when you read your name <laughs> and they were all locked into you man you could I put know. a train through that room <laughs> and they'd be sitting there with their you know holding on to their ear going what you know they were so locked in so i went home later that day and to take a breath i had my envelope in my bag I opened my birth certificate with uh, Militia, my best friend who's up here in Michigan with me, who I've known since I was five, (laughs) and uh, my boyfriend at the time, Evan Gordon. Mm -hmm. I told him that we were going to film this at home. He's like, oh. We don't have to go out. This is more important than anything, right? And so I opened my birth certificate at home with just a few friends. You know, everybody feels comfortable doing this differently. Mm -hmm. And I I sort of had a sense that it would be a very tough emotional thing for me. And I never really wanted this to be about me. So, But I think uh, your story really shows how you can be in reunion you can have a lot of the pieces to the puzzle in place, but it's still a very separate event to have your original birth certificate to see it for the very first time. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, a lot of pressure coming off of me and of, you know, 14 years of fighting for this. I was so joyous about experiencing everybody getting their birth certificate, but I also had anger about the why, because we, many of my tribe in this film lost their chance to meet family because of this. Mm -hmm. And I was mad. (laughs) I sort of was angry about it. I had, I did. I, I released a lot of love and positivity, but I cannot deny that I also had some resentment and anger for people who never were able to meet their biological parents because of these obstacles. But be that as it may, things settled down and our numbers were great and Illinois was really at the forefront. I knew that if New York ever opened, we'd have the doors blown off of us. 
which is, you know, in the first week, they've surpassed the numbers we have, you know. So, but anyway, you know, and I still was, you know, in contact with my birth mother. And it was tougher and tougher because I was, as you know, still a secret in her life. Lo and behold, one day in 2016, I was reading my email I was on my way out the door and I was going to a cub game. I see an email from my from my biological one of my biological sisters. I had n- never in all my life communicated with any of them because I honored my birth mother's request. And I also remember asking my birth mother, who is going, you know, I know I'm I respect the fact that you don't want to disrupt your life with your boy, your living boyfriend or my three sisters. But if something happens to you, who's going to call me and tell me? Mm. And she said, Lonnie will, because the oldest of her three daughters was sort of her secret keeper mm. and the boss. Fast forward to this day that I get an email of the First thing I thought of was, oh, my God, she did, she's dead. My birth mother died. Something's wrong. And I read the email in my inbox. Is this long letter from my sister, Lonnie. Now, keep in mind that I've been looking at them on Facebook. Mm. Once the Internet had emerged right. and I knew their names and I knew a lot about them, I was able to go on Facebook and see what was going on and who had kids. I would see pictures of Sandra. So I would know she was okay. I, you know, I didn't know that Lonnie never talked about me to the other two sisters, but apparently she really took my mother seriously. Lonnie said, we're sort of violating the rules, but we've waited a really long time and life is short. We're coming to Chicago and we would all love to meet you. Mm. So that's 2016. Yeah, that was email I got from her in June and then I got an email from my middle sister Tammy and then the youngest one Dana Mm. and you had been seeing their pictures on on Facebook so now you're gonna everything uh, (laughs) I knew knew their birthdays remember back in 1980 back when I had just started working for Colorton remember what I said at the earlier part of this recording was that I was able to get my birth mother's marriage certificate. So I knew who married her mm-hmm. because she changed her name. And I was able to get the birth certificates of her three daughters that she had when she was married. Mm. So I knew I had three sisters. Right. I knew you know, I had a few puzzle pieces that, that were in the room and they all sort of came together. As luck would have it, on July 9th of 2016, we spent the weekend together. They all came to Chicago. It was tomorrow, actually, is July 9th, is the um, sixth anniversary. Oh, of our wow, how special. They, first of all, they were pissed and shocked at our mother for not telling them she had met me. Uh, the youngest one was the most upset about me being kept at arm's length. And I think once she figured out who I was, uh, maybe a year or two before that, and she was sort of poking around, 
she was angry. Like, why hasn't she reached out? Because Jennifer, she saw the video. She saw a simple piece of paper. Mm. Once she had gotten the final clue that she knew my name was Sarah. She knew I lived in Chicago. And then Lonnie, she pried it out of the oldest sister that I was a politician. <laughs> and there I was. Right. And Looking then like found, everybody. <laughs> right. And then she also, I mean, she she ended up seeing the video, the film and she was so angry. Mm. She's like, wait a minute. She's a lawmaker. She passed a law about birth certificate access. She's helped all these people reunite with their families and she can't meet her three sisters. I'm getting on a plane. I don't care what anybody thinks and I'm knocking on her door. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and so of course, Lonnie, the oldest sister says, no, she said, I think it's really sick that she can't meet us and we can't meet her. I'm done. You know, she just threw down the gauntlet. I call her the girl that kicked the hornet's mouth. <laughs> and so, so, you know, Lonnie said, no, Dana, you're not getting on a plane. That's not how we're going to do this. If we're going to do it, we're doing it together and we're not going to tell mom. Mm. And that's exactly how it went. Wow. That's, they all three of them came to Chicago and it was amazing. I like I, that. They all yeah. three came. Yeah. We went to a Sox game. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. No, I remember <laughs> calling then Speaker Madigan because the Cubs had just left town. And I'm okay. like, well, okay. Um, you know, we will, you know. We'll, That's good to you know, know I, that you will, you will, you're willing to go to a Sox game. Well, they were a little <laughs> concerned because they were Northsiders. Right. So big Cub fans. So, and I got like these row one seats. And of course, I wanted to see how irreverent they were. And they all put on Cubs t-shirts oh, in the parking lot wow. when they walked into the ballpark. <laughs> so I thought, gene pool, you know. <laughs> right. So right. anyway, it was joyous. And then I, you know, the following morning, I had sent out a group text to some of my friends. And I said, you know, I actually have just met my, my biological sisters. They're in town. And if you would like to join us, we're having breakfast at Ann Sather at 10 a.m. We'll make room for you. Ten of my friends showed up for breakfast mm. and were part of the weekend. You know, Very or, nice. And then Militia, of course, uh, made herself available because there was a little bit of tension. You know, Militia was like, I'm like, should I invite them to stay at my house? Absolutely not. Think about it as a first date. Mm -hmm. Okay. And everybody's going to need to go sort of decompress. Right. So just take it in small bites. And, you know, she's, I call her the Oracle. <laughs> she's such sage advice. She right? is, yeah. I mean, she's just a goddess. We wouldn't be here without her. Mm -hmm. You know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm nothing. I was a vessel. I was a tool to carry it, you know, but without her, we would have nothing because she's just amazing. It's crazy. She but amazing. is. She is uh, amazing. Yeah. And, and didn't, never gave up, got pissed, got beat up, but never gave up. Mm -hmm. So, so that's my happy ending. I have three amazing sisters and lots of nieces and nephews. And so they came home and they made a decision that they were going to tell Sandra that they met me mm. and 
they were all really nervous about it. They were going to do it together. Well, militia had to come back on Sunday before they left. Mm -hmm. Their flight was at like five in the afternoon. And I 911'd her. I'm like, there's all this infighting between these three sisters about who's going to tell mom and are they going to tell mom? I was saying, make me the bad guy. Tell her I reached out to you. You know, that's on Facebook, on the Facebook. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to lie. So they, so they set it up and we all four of us went to lunch together. It was amazing. Mm. Three sisters, four sisters and our mom. Wow. Yep. I want to go back to the day I opened my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Is that I was angry. Because it's like fear is the greatest motivator of sealed records. The truth is what sets you free. When you're a child and you're told the truth, children do so much better with the truth than they do with secrets and shame and lies. And once Sandra heard that, I mean, it, it just, it was like a puff of smoke. It was gone. Mm-hmm. It was a balloon that deflates quietly. Because it, I believe, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. You. I want to hear. I want to hear. I believe that when birth parents in particular don't want to tell other family members or are hesitant about reunion in its entirety, it's because of their fear of the relationships they already have. Like, are those going to be okay? In your situation, are my daughters still going to be okay with me once they learn of something I've kept from them? Like, like, like you're saying, it's this fear of the unknown. I know what I have right here, and I don't want that to change, and I'm fearful it might. But Jennifer, you know fear is an emotion. It's intangible. It's, it's not a thing, right? And you can't let it control your life. And when you push through fear, you get truth. But she you was get, unable to. Everybody's wringing their hands about how to tell her. Right. They told her <laughs> it was done. And then we moved on. I have nieces and nephews. And they're amazing. I wish I lived closer and could spend more time you know, with them. I, but, I love how you share this reunion. What would you say is like the most important, I guess, the best reward of being connected to the adoption community? Just keep fighting. You know, don't don't turn don't turn your back on other states that need our help. I mean, I would love to see every state have access to original birth certificates permanently and that we look at adoption as adding onto our families and not separating us. And I think things are really moving in that direction in most states. I haven't taken a look at the data yet, but don't let fear stop you. Keep pushing legislatively, keep pushing for your own truth. I mean, let's be really honest. With Ancestry and 23andMe, it's game over. Mm-hmm. Game over. Our challenges today are even greater. I have friends who have gone on this journey with me. One of them is 
my friend BJ, who I've known since I was five. She encouraged me to find my birth, my birth family in the 80s. She is now, because of DNA, has discovered she has another sister, another niece. This is all because of DNA, and DNA does not lie. So That's so true. And and at the end of the day, officer, you know DNA, it don't lie. So it's sort of fait accompli. Like, why are we fighting? What are we fighting about? It's it's it's. I have can't wrap my head around it. So do whatever you can to get these laws changed. But the most important thing is, it's game over. Tell lawmakers around this country who have yet to see the light. It's game over that anybody can find anyone. Thank you so much for having this conversation and taking time out. This is your downtime to relax from all the work you do downstate in Illinois. And congratulations again in being a senator, Sarah. Big time. (laughs) Anyway, but again, you know, Jennifer, like I said, this was... Uh, divined. I, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that I was put in the legislature to do exactly to get this done. And I am blessed. I have no question about why I'm, what my purpose is. And I feel very blessed to have been able to do this and had the opportunity to do it. And I'm humbled by it. And then I got to meet really cool people like you. And you're coming back home to visit. <laughs> I sure am. Illinois Senator Sarah Feigenholtz is someone you should know because she is kind, generous, and tenacious. When she agreed to have this conversation with me, I knew it was because she cares about the adoption community and committed to what matters to all of us. Sarah has helped so many people over the years from her Northside office in Chicago and in the state capital of Springfield. She doesn't allow those in the stands who might want to criticize her keep her from the end game, especially adoption reform. If there is any doubt about Illinois adoptees having a deep appreciation of Sarah's efforts, simply ask the thousands upon thousands of us who, after 2011, were able to hold our original birth certificates for the first time. Thank you, Sarah, for creating the time to have a conversation with me. You are one of a kind, one in a million, and to know you is to love you. Our paths crossing means so much to me, and I know your genuine concern for people from all walks of life is real. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. Thank you so much for being here, and be sure and follow me on Instagram at Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land.